to Dying for the O'Brien. I'm your host, Brent Bassbinder, joined here as always by Quentin Cools. And Quinn, the offseason continues, but surprisingly, there's plenty of good basketball being played and plenty of fun basketball news to get into here. Let's start here at the top. This week, Giannis Antetokounmpo publicly pressured the Bucks to make sure that they were going to be pursuing a championship. Basically, he sat down in an interview, Quinn, and basically said, I won't be signing a contract extension until I see some proof that the Bucks are going to stay competitive for the next five years, basically. Quinn, what do you think about the purpose of these players getting into these media moments and seeing if they can pressurize their team to make deals, basically? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Giannis is um, the best or one of the best players in the league, has been for probably the last four years or so. And um, the NBA is a business, so guys like LeBron and, uh, and, and you know, I, I, yeah, guys like LeBron – know that it's a business and know how to kind of work a team in such a way to where the team maximizes your window. And so if you look at, you know, the first time with the Cavs, then with the Heat, then second time with the Cavs, now with the Lakers, what you see with LeBron is that he uh, uses his leverage as being one of the greatest players in the world to get the team to maximize uh, every possible, you know, um, player coach uh, scenario that could help support what, what he believes is his vision of winning a championship with that roster construction. So I think that's what's going on with Giannis. I think, you know, there's people in his camp that are telling him like, this is the way to play the game. And if you want to be one of those legends, that's like top 10, 15, 20 players all time, uh, you can't just end with one or two championships. Like you have to actually like pursue this thing hardcore. And an aging Drew Holiday, an, an aging Brooke Lopez, an aging Chris Middleton. Like, is that going to do it three years from now? Probably not. And so, on the one hand, it's a business, and he's he's making the right business play. But on on the side of a small market um, fan, you know that I am as a Portland fan. Like, I hate this. I hate this. You 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 put the you put the team under the gun when, when really, like, the team wants to win a championship, bro. Like, the team want, like, we are on the same page. You're saying we need to be on the same page. We are on the same page. We want to win a championship. We've already got you one. We want to get another one. Let's do this. But he wants it all right here, right now, ASAP. And uh, we'll see if he's patient. It's just so fascinating, just the kind of feel like the increase with, we talked about this before, Quinn, social media and these other forms of ways where, you know, these are conversations you would expect to happen behind closed doors with front offices and agents, and they end up spilling out into the media, and you really see how it empowers the player to kind of put public pressure on their teams. It was interesting in the interview, Giannis was saying, you know, of course I want to be a Bucks for life kind of guy. I want to be like a Dirk. I want to be like a Kobe rest in peace kind of guy. But he said, he's like, but I want to win another championship more than I want to stay on the Bucks the rest of my career and not win another championship. And so I think that kind of hunger for the Larry O'Brien Quinn, it, it comes for everybody. And he noted in the interview, Giannis said that winning in 2021 was just the best feeling he had ever had. And so I agree with you. I think he really wants to cement that that legacy. And so it'd be interesting to see what the Bucks do because you're in a tough position when you have as much aging talent as the Bucks have, like you noted, Quinn. Because in a couple of years, Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton already, Drew Holiday in a couple of years, like you're not going to really get back the kind of return on those players 
that you would hope. And so it'd be interesting to see if the Bucks can maneuver themselves because Giannis's title window is a lot longer than those guys because he's got several years younger than them. And so it'd be interesting to see if the Bucks can reposition themselves to run for another title because especially with the timeline on the Celtics and some of these other teams, it's going to be really tough for the Bucks to be competitive. And they flamed out the last couple of years in the playoffs. Moving to a team that consistently gets feedback on being one of the worst teams in the league. And in my 26 years of living Quinn, they really have shown themselves to be um, one of the low of lows as far as their performance goes. And that is the Charlotte Hornets. Um, Charlotte trying to figure out their roster this week. They signed PJ Washington to a three year, $48 million contract. He averaged 15 points, five rebounds, 2.4 assists last season, which is great. Um, and so they'll have him back and they got LaMelo, they got Brandon Miller. They're going to be debuting this year. It'd be interesting though, Quinn, those averages were so high because he was having to come off the bench, but he's going back to the bench because after his 10 game suspension for domestic abuse charges, Miles Bridges will also be returning to the Charlotte Hornets. And so they've kind of got this exciting offensive, heavy, defensively weak core and from my point of view, it looks like a LaMelo, Brandon Miller, Miles Bridges, and P.J. Washington core should buy you potentially an exciting one game out in the play-in. Yeah, I don't even know that the play-in is in play. Um, I think that this team, it, it, you, you just gave us the rundown, and it sounds like a bleep show. Like, it sounds like just a bunch of drama um and and it sounds like these guys that that don't have the same priorities like when when i think about um you know we 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 talk about some of those teams over the years i think on the last pod we were talking about the spurs um but you ha- you have teams that just they they get so unified around what what are we at our core what is our identity as a team the hornets don't have an identity right now and um part of that is going to need to be on lamella ball um, he's going to need to one be healthy, but two um, really lead the team. Not not just from a scoring or assist standpoint, but but really like taking his maturity to the next level and and having an effect on the culture of that team. And if he does that, then I think the rest of those pieces maybe start to fall in line a little bit. Where you know uh, some of these guys who are on just a one year deal, like I think Miles Bridges was a restricted free agent and he came back at least on a, on a year deal. Like I think guys like that where it's like, who knows what's going to happen with this situation uh, post his legal issues. And, and so, you know, maybe he stays, maybe he goes a year from now, but I think there will be clarity a year from now that the Hornets don't have right now. Yeah. I think the temptation late in the season to go for the tank job is probably going to be luring again this season um, for the Hornets as they realize that they're probably going to have better luck trying to find a good prospect in the lottery than they are trying to make some sort of abysmal um, showing on, like you said, the play-in or not even reaching the play-in. Moving to a character who dominated the last pod, Quinn, that's James Harden. These players and their media in, uh, incidents and kind of uh, scandals or shows keep popping up here in the news. Last time we noted that Harden basically came out and called Daryl Morey, the GM of the 76ers, a liar and said that he wouldn't be associated with any organization that Daryl Morey worked for. Um, the NBA responded, of course, by investigating Harden and then slapping him for 100K for comments that, quote, that he would not be performing the services called for under his player contract unless traded to another team. And so the NBA, of course, doing what it has to do for the owners, which is punish James Harden for saying this. But at what point is no matter how much you fine a player, it doesn't change the impact or the kind of hab- habitual kind of effect of these kind of incidents. 
So was he fined a hundred K as in like a hundred K dollars or like a hundred and K like, you know, impacts on social media or followers on social media? Like what is he about? Like, is he about the money? No. The last couple of years he's, he's not prioritized the money. Um, is he about uh, winning a championship? It sure as heck seems that it's not the case because he keeps moving away from the Kevin Durant's and the Joel Embiid's of the world who are, by the way, MVPs who <laughs> have the qualities of champion contenders and he's moving away from those people. So what is he really about? Um, I, I'm confused. I'm confused by this man. Um, I, I do think that um, the league is making you know, a good call here in terms of if if you keep letting players do this sort of thing and state it this sort of way, um, if, if Lillard were to come out and state something similar about the Blazers as Harden has for the 76ers, they now have a precedent for what they're going to do with that. And they're going to take that very seriously. And I think they will ramp it up if a player keeps doing that or does that more. So I actually think from a league's perspective, this is smart, but is it actually going to stop these guys from doing it? Probably not. Yeah, I mean, I think the league here trying to protect the fabric, really, of the institution, because if contracts become meaningless, like, what does that do, Quinn, to the shape of the NBA? Like, when, you know, the, the summer rolls around, free agency rolls around, and you see these big, like, so-and-so signs a five-year max or here, whatever. But if those contracts within one season, players can be, like, publicly, like, get me out of here, I don't like you guys anymore, it really changes the landscape of the league that the contracts have so much less value and meaning no matter what kind of protections you put on them if you've got these players. Um, and I, I think it's so funny. Uh, Tyrese Maxey has a podcast, and he was talking about the Harden situation, of course, his, his teammate. And and basically, Maxey's take on it was like, hey, this isn't our first rodeo, um, alluding to the Ben Simmons situation. Yes, just, yeah. <laughs> just kind of calling attention to like, hey, we've had divas before. We'll work through this diva like we worked the last diva. And I'll reiterate I it. on the last pod, you know, you just have to not fold in the face of the media scrutiny, you know, let Harden have his public tantrums. But at the ultimate end of the day, you're trying to get your team a championship. Um, and I think that's what you have to prioritize beyond keeping these millionaires happy with their their teams. Well, and I wonder what, what that would be like for a team. Like, let's let's say a player does maintain that holdout all the way through. Like maybe that's actually a, a cultural, you know, positive, you know, by by taking him off the team, you take away that drama. Like I get it. Like I, I've been on this podcast before talking about how James Harden is still an excellent, excellent NBA player, top thirty guy, and 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 I think that you know teams should want you know a, a player of that quality on the floor for them, right? But but for the Sixers, this this is becoming a toxic situation. And I don't use that word lightly, but like it is genuinely becoming a toxic situation. And I wonder if even if you were to sit out an entire year and then join up with another team a year from now, if that's even possible contractually, um, <clears throat> I wonder if that would actually be a net win for the Sixers because it would help them kind of just like double down on who we are and our identity. Now, granted, there's all of the caveats related to does Embiid one out if James Harden's not there and if they don't have a chance to compete for a title this year. I get all that. But I do think there's there's a value in saying, hey, as a team, as an ethic of our culture, we want to be about something better than this. And who knows? Maybe that's actually a big win. I think this is going to teach a lot of teams that you can't just judge off raw talent. I think we'll get into, you know, we've gotten into later about Kyrie. You know, it, there's so much more to a player than just their talent. Maybe before social media, 
back in, you know, the day and age where newspapers were the main way that stories came out. Maybe there was more of a focus on just the pure raw talent of the player, Quinn. But these days, I think especially with social media, especially with these these explosive interviews or, you know, Harden just going to China on a tour and, and calling his GM a liar. I think it's going to be teaching these GMs, teaching these front offices that you're really going to want to have to even weigh the character and the loyalty of the human being you're signing to a contract because recent events with all these players is showing you, even if you got a crazy talented player, if they're easily pissed off, if they're easily, you know, get in their feels about their, their relationship with the front office, then no matter how good their talent is, they're not going to be in the basketball court for you, or they're not going to be contributing to a healthy team culture. Moving on down to a team up north a little bit than Philly, and that's the New York Knicks. Um, nothing here with the Knicks about them winning or losing, though they've done plenty of losing, of course, in their time ever since they got done with their golden age in the 80s and the 90s. That's the Knicks suing one of their former coaches who worked for them from 2020 to 2023. Basically, the Raptors hired away one of the Knicks' assistant coaches, and the Knicks are now publicly suing this guy and the Raptors because supposedly he didn't just take himself with him, he took all of the Knicks' files with him over to the Raptors. And this is such a, a bizarre story, Quinn, because this is just something that you don't see happening. I mean, coaches, players front office staff, they swap teams all the time. This is pretty standard procedure. But this is just interesting that after all the switching that constantly happens here, we have an instance where supposedly someone finally did what, you know, I would assume in my head is a constant temptation, which is to take the secrets of your team with you when you go to your new team. Oh, yeah, I can I can totally imagine a thousand scenarios in life where you would be tempted to do this, you know, going from one one position in life to another. Um, and the whole concept of, of ethics speaks against that and says, no, there's a right and wrong and there's there's proper you know, protection and confidentiality related to information, not just because it is a league rule or just because it is this basketball team's rule or my boss's rule. It is like a moral, personal ethic. Now, I've, I've done enough preaching. Uh, I'll, I'll move on from that. All right. Um, so here's the thing. This is not just that one individual. Like there are there are a ton of different like defendants that are like um, they're named in in this particular lawsuit, including the head coach of the Raptors. So like this has the potential of being like a massive story. I really don't think it's going to end up being that, but for the you know the twenty four hour news cycle uh, of our day, like this is huge. Like this is so big because. This, these are not just teams, you know, that are in the same league. These are teams that are in the same division and in the same conference. And so, you know, this, this is this is like insider trading stuff. Like, this is a big deal. So I'm, you know, for the drama of it, I'm very intrigued. Yeah, and I can even see in a situation if the NBA did an investigation and find that there was, you could potentially have draft picks being taken away or some sort of punishment that could actually have real impact on the Raptors' ability to try to climb back into contention. And so it'd be interesting to see how this story develops. Moved on down to one of our more recent additions to the pod, Quinn, and that's This Week in NBA History. Quinn, this week, six years ago, the Cleveland Cavaliers sent disgruntled all-star Kyrie Irving to Boston, and in exchange, Boston sent over fan favorite Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, and a couple draft picks. Looking back now, six years later, obviously, talking about Kyrie is always, it feels like, just an explosive bag. But Quinn, who won this trade looking back six years later? Dude, that's so hard. I mean, there's so many uh, threads to this. Like this is the Isaiah 
Thomas year where he's coming off like 29 points a game, but then had the injury and wasn't given the big money contract after that. So then they're trading him over to Cleveland and Cleveland's getting rid of a disgruntled guy who helped them win a championship with LeBron. And like, obviously short version is, you know, Isaiah Thomas was moved off real fast with the Cavaliers. And so they, they kind of got nothing out of this trade. Um, and the the Celtics got at least you know a year or two of hopes with um, with Kyrie that were then dashed. But the, you know he he would have been an excellent fit um, on the basketball court with Jalen and Jason. So I mean I think I think that should have been the win. But knowing what we know now about Kyrie, how can you say that either team won this trade? That's what I was thinking, Quinn. Honestly, looking back now at what the teams got for this. I think what you ultimately end up seeing, and we've already gotten into this with Harden, is that teams ideally want players on their teams who want to play for them. Sounds like a wild concept. (laughs) But that's what happened, of course, is Braun and Kyrie's relationship fell out just a season after they won the championship in 2016. And so at the end of the 2017 season, Quinn, Kyrie asks out, and the Cavs' point of view is like, hey, we only want people playing on our team who want to play on our team. So they move him to the Celtics, and the Celtics found out that the same disgruntledness that was quickly stirred up in Kyrie uh, in Cleveland was also quickly stirred up in Boston. And so I think it's just so fascinating. If you're listening to this, you should go look up the recaps of Kyrie Irving's two season in Boston. It's it's a wild roller coaster because it starts off with them being looking like title contenders. And then Gordon Hayward like breaks his leg on opening night. And then mm. Kyrie gets injured in March. So he can't even be there for game seven of the Eastern Conference finals when LeBron takes out the Celtics Kyrie doesn't even go to the game. He's back in Brooklyn, like, nursing a deviated septum injury. It's just a wild term of events. All that to say, those two seasons in uh, for the Celtics were rough ones because their young talent was really shining. But after two seasons, Kyrie decided to take his talents to Brooklyn. Despite a year before that, in the middle of his tenure with Boston, he at a preseason season ticket holder event grabbed the mic and promised that he wanted his name to hang in the rafters. And so I think at this point, front offices and fans are just wary because it's all you know roses and daisies. It's just like a dating relationship, Quinn. Honestly, like at the beginning, it's all like you know starstruck. Everyone's like imagining all the great things that can happen. But very quickly, you get to find out when the rough gets rough what kind of person you really have with you. And sadly, the Celtics were unable to juice really anything out of those two years with Kyrie, other than a really impressive run to the Eastern Conference Finals that first year, but as previously was said, that wasn't even with Kyrie. This week also marks uh, the annual week, which has August 24th, which on the calendar is represented by um, 8-24, 8 being August, 24 being the day. And so this has become what is known as kind of the annual Kobe Bryant Day, in which the world pays its respects to one of the greatest players ever play in the NBA. And so I think it's just so fitting on a week like this that features Kobe Bryant Day to kind of look back on Kobe's career and just kind of look at, you know, what is Kobe's legacy now that he's no longer here and obviously gave the league a really great run of years. Yeah, man. When I when I think about Kobe, I think about uh, the nickname the Black Mamba and just what a what a killer <laughs> Kobe was. Like how how precise he was, um, how intense he was, how hard he worked. 
Um, I remember seeing interviews with him where he talked about even like his, his sleep schedule where, you know, he could get a whole extra practice in each day, you know, if he woke up at, you know, X time in the, you know, before the sun comes up and then he's taking his first nap, you know, kind of when everyone else is waking up and then he kind of gets on this rhythm and, and every single day he's able to get one more practice in than all the other players in the league. And just stuff like that, where it was just like, who who thinks like that? That's an, like you sound like a psycho, and and yet I say that out of respect because he was such a, a, an incredible craftsman. Like he was able to produce on the court in ways that just totally inspired a generation of basketball players and fans. And and so he's he's right to receive that tribute. Yeah, when I think of Kobe, I think of the term relentless competitiveness, and there's all sorts of stories that are out there you can go read about where Kobe just had this relentless competitiveness. I think kind of some of the stuff you were mentioning, Quinn, I think you just look at the way he approached the game, and you would definitely, the term religious, I think, is accurately applied there mm -hmm. about his just devotion to winning. And I think it's easy for casual fans like us to just assume it's like, hey, Kobe was great because he just had boatloads of natural talent. And so he went out there in the court and was able to do amazing things. And that's all the side that we see because we didn't, we don't see the gym um, workouts. We don't see the 5 a.m. getting up kind of stuff like you're talking about, Quinn. And so I think I really appreciate Kobe for just the discipline of recognizing he had all this natural talent, but he was well aware that to actually translate that natural talent into the Larry O'Brien trophies that he won, it took a lot of relentless discipline and competitiveness. And I think there's a lot in that in today's day and age. I think kids, young people especially, are, are lured into a lot of laziness, a lot of complacency. I think Kobe can be a positive influence even in death, Kobe can be a positive influence on young people today to show a willingness to devote yourself to your craft and how it can yield rewards. Well, I mentioned at the beginning that we still had basketball that's been going on this summer and the World Cup, FIBA, kicked off its regular season games here as teams are now being able to stack up wins and also be eliminated if they um, notch two losses. And a bunch of FIBA games were played, and the reason why that matters is because some of the NBA's best and maybe not so best players have been playing in the World Cup basketball here. And so a couple of the games, Quinn, were noticeable. First off, we had a team eliminated this week, and that was France. And the reason why that's relevant is because France, uh, just two years ago, Quinn, in 2021, got silver at the Tokyo Summer Olympics, and they brought back the entire silver medal squad to try to come and win the World Cup this year. We're talking a starting lineup that features Rudy Gobert, Evan Fourier, Nicolas Batum, players who play at a really high level in the NBA, and they were knocked out after getting a 30-point beatdown in the first game from Canada, and in the second game, Latvia beat them. This is a team that usually features Christoph Porzingis, but he has a foot injury, so he wasn't even playing. And so sadly, Rudy Gobert, Evan Fourier, and Nicholas Batum, they've had disappointing results in the NBA recently, and now they're going to add World Cup basketball to another dis disappointing uh, game. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. I, I, I think I, I really enjoy following international basketball to the degree that NBA stars are heading up their teams. And so with a team like France, it's like, oh, I know France. Like, I know, I, you know, I know Gobert and I know Fournier and I know Batum and I know Decolo and I know, you know, it's like you see these guys on the highlight reel and you're like, yeah, yeah, they go, oh, wait, you lost by how much? <laughs> and wait, you lost to Latvia? <laughs> like, 
you know, I uh, I feel bad for him, but doesn't this say something about our guy? And by our guy, I mean not our guy, Rudy Gobert. Like, like man, for the last couple of years, um, he, his stock has gone so far down. Like, this is like, if he is the housing market, this is 2008, right? This is this is the crash. You know, he is, and and who knows? Maybe maybe Anthony Edwards on the Timberwolves is going to be able to resurrect uh, this man's career, but he is in a tough spot. I know it's as if when Rudy Gobert was the like, OG NBA player to come down with COVID, some people I know like lost their taste. It's like Rudy Gobert like lost his swagger. Like he lost his <laughs> like it's like he lost his talent. It's like the uh it's like the OG Space Jam, you know, when the aliens come and they like steal all the power. I don't know what happened to Rudy Gobert, but if you're the Timberwolves right now, it's you're an interesting position this summer because Anthony Edwards' stock could not be climbing any higher. Like he is like him and like everybody is talking about him and his encore production is crazy this summer. It was in during the regular season. And so it's so interesting when you have what looks like a franchise cornerstone player in Anthony Edwards. And then you have just seemingly this kind of like, you know, leech on your team. And that's Rudy Gobert and everything you gave up to get him. It'd be interesting to see if the Timberwolves can pivot because they were they thought they were ready to contend. And that's why they brought in Rudy Gobert to pair with Cat and with Anthony Edwards, but it's interesting to see if the Timberwolves can refigure their roster in a way that will actually give Anthony Edwards a chance at winning a title. Dude, Bill Simmons said it, Towns for Lillard, Towns for Lillard. Can you imagine Lillard and Ant and Gobert? Like just that that spacing and that leadership that Lillard would bring in case of Towns, like, hmm, could be good. Honestly, I'd love to see Lillard mentor Anthony Edwards in some capacity, just from one guard to another guard you know, the maturity that Lillard has. But obviously the big thing there is Lillard has zero interest in going to Minnesota. And we know by now in the pod, Quinn, that the Timberwolves want to only have players on their team who want to play for their team. Going on down (laughs) to the land of the free and the home of the brave. That's the United States of America. Um, They're dominating right now. They played New Zealand um, this week. And my boy, Paulo Bencaro, dropped a game high 21 points. Four blocks. He was a plus 25 in just 19 minutes off the bench. Basically, Jaron Jackson Jr., who's the starting center for Team USA this summer at the World Cup, he fouled out 16 minutes into the game. And so they deployed Bancaro as a small ball center, and he dominated. Austin Reeves also was crazy good with 12 points, and he was a plus 19. He's really provided a spark. Team USA really looking like they're in a really good position to compete for the gold medal this year. And if your team's like the Lakers with Reeves or the Magic with Bancaro, you've got to be excited to seeing your guys mature a bit during the offseason. Dude, yeah, Austin Reeves. He's him! He's him! You know, amazing. Love it. Um, so I, I, I loved what Bancaro did in this game. He was super efficient, um, finding ways to get into the paint and get some easy shots. Uh, but also on the other side of the floor, you mentioned the four blocks. There was this one block where he... He, he gets beat by a guy, he chases him down, pa- practically jumps over him, has to lift up his legs, you know, hit, hits the ball against the backboard. Like, it was just, I, I, I replayed it multiple times, and I was like, I love this. This, this guy has got it. So, yeah, it, it gave me some, uh, some inspiration for the Magic this year. And obviously, this USA team is just really well constructed. It's got a lot of balance. It's got a lot of variation i mean when you got when you have guys like josh hart uh who's kind of more of a three and d guy just coming in and he can just play in spots like he can just pick up where he's needed austin reeves is like 
the the perfect example of that. Somebody who's just like he's got a glue guy, Tyrese Halliburton. He's he's doing all these like no look passes and stuff. Like this team is having fun together. They're joking around with each other, but they're also serious about the task at hand. So this is what we love from Team USA. I know there's just so many benefits for playing for Team USA. Obviously, I know it's competitive. It's you know it's invitation only, and there's plenty of players you know that want to play that don't get asked at Trey Young. Um, but it's interesting to see just all the benefits that it yields. You look at, you know, these guys' trade values are just going to skyrocket when they do well with Team USA um, or any of these countries, honestly. I guess this just applies to World Cup basketball in general. But I'm thinking about these specific guys, even like Brandon Ingram, obviously Anthony Edwards, Bancaro, just the value of them, the chances they get all-star next season. There's just multiple benefits I see from putting in the time of going over and flying all over the world and playing these games. And so it's been really cool to see guys like Austin Reeves and Bancaro really shine. Moving up north just a little bit from the United States of America, we've got our friends up there in Canada. And they are also looking really dangerous this year, Quinn. They've got a lot of NBA players as well. And... They just buried Lebanon in a 55-point shellacking. That's right, Quinn. 55-point point differential at the end of the game. R.J. Barrett dropped 17. Kelly Olenek, 12. SGA, 12. His cousin, Nikhil, 12. Dylan Brooks, our guy Dylan, 10 points. Dwight Powell dropped 9. Um, and that was after they thrashed, like, two days earlier, France, who we've already talked about, by 30. And so it's cool to see Canada... This is what I love about the World Cup, Quinn, is you have these guys who honestly kind of get neglected because of all the big names in the NBA during the NBA season. But in the World Cup, they can kind of shine for their country. You take a guy like RJ Barrett, like he's not getting a lot of media love during the regular season just because of the fact that he's on the Knicks and he's not, you know, crazy good. But it's cool to see the World Cup kind of bring out the best in people as they get to shine for their country. And with Canada, there's other guys that could be playing in the years ahead. Like there's guys like Andrew Wiggins, Jamal Murray, like like their their team is super deep. And um, it, yeah, it's fun. It's fun, especially to have some competition for Team USA. Like when we were coming up, you know, as basketball fans, early 2000s, kind of watching stuff, um, you, you kind of had Team USA, especially at the Olympics year, you know, every four years kind of just, you know, falling short, falling short, falling short. Um, and then 2008, you had the Redeem team and, and kind of ever since around that time frame, USA basketball has been really, really strong. Um, so we're not really used to uh, a, a competitive kind of the potential for, for losing on a regular basis. I love the fact that a team like Canada is so deep and, and just filled with, with excellent players because that means that there's going to be a chance that even for Team USA or other great teams, even for Slovenia with Luca or whatever, like – there's going to be some good basketball that, that gets had and we're going to be able to watch that on YouTube and all the things. So I'm excited for it. And I love these guys um, getting to play on the big stage. Yeah. Speaking about the benefits of world cup FIBA basketball is the coach, actually the new coach this year uh, of Canada is a guy named Jordy Fernandez because Nick nurse was the coach of team Canada, but of course he left the Raptors to go to the Sixers. So he's an American again now. And so they brought in this guy, Jordy <laughs> Fernandez, who is an assistant coach for the Sacramento Kings, one of the favorites here on the pod, uh, the beam team. And so it's cool to see how, as Canada has been dominating, now there's talk of like, man, Jordy Fernandez, he's an assistant coach. Like, 
why doesn't he have his own team in the NBA? And so it's crazy not just to see how player stock can skyrocket during FIBA, but it's also cool to see guys like Jordy Fernandez, who you're sitting quietly as an assistant coach on the bench of Mike Brown, and now you get your opportunity to shine on a big scene as a head coach, and it's cool to see him getting some love as his stock goes up. Moving over to across the pond, Germany is looking excellent this year, and they just won a thriller over Australia, two teams that feature a ton of NBA players. They won 85-82 in a matchup featuring familiar faces like Dennis Schroeder, another guy who is so quiet as far as like media attention during the regular season, kind of that journeyman kind of type we've talked about. He dropped 30 points on Australia with eight assists, Daniel Tice, Mo Wagner, all helped out Germany grabbing the dub. Australia features a bunch of guys who were so good in the NBA 10 years ago. (laughs) Patty Mills came and dropped 21 points. I think um, Joe Ingles dropped like four points. Um, And they did have some young guys like Josh Giddey and Josh Green as well. Um, But Germany looking really solid. And of course, they've got my, I think my favorite NBA player right now, Franz Wagner. Franz, um, let's go. Yes, playing for them. And so I really want to see... Uh, a Germany-Canada matchup, a Germany-United States matchup. It'd be really cool to see um, uh, Germany go head-to-head with some of these big teams because I think they potentially have the firepower and the unity um, to make some noise. Yeah, yeah. even with Franz out this game, like you think about him, you think about his brother Mo, you think about Daniel Tice all being like real physical against a team like USA or whatever, like that would just be kind of a fun matchup. Like Jaron Jackson would probably foul out in like 14 minutes, you know, instead of 16. Um, But yeah, I'm all for that. Uh, I want to see the competition rise. Wrapping up our FIBA kind of review, we can't talk about international basketball, Quinn, without talking about Luca Magic himself. He dropped 37 points, six assists, and seven rebounds as Slovenia took down Venezuela who was honestly having an incredible game. They were really hot from three, but it honestly doesn't matter because when Luca's on, Luca's just on. It's just so much fun to watch Luca play basketball. I mean, it's crazy to think he's been playing pro basketball since he was like 16. Like, you can go watch clips of him as a 16-year-old playing an exhibition game against Russell Westbrook and the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. It's crazy. But Luca just looks so dangerous, and every time I watch Luca doing well, I always worry that he's going to be one of those guys who has such a great career where he does individual great things like Damian Lillard, but is never to be on a team that's able to put themselves in a championship position. It's the exact same thought I had. When I saw that he had 37 points, I thought, okay, is this like three years ago, Luca? Two years ago, Luca? One year ago? No, this is like present-day Luca is giving his all in FIBA basketball, and there's a bunch of guys right now who are not, who are, you know, have a light injury coming off the the season or who are just taking time to like work on their body or work on their game. And I'm not saying he's not doing that. Like he's coming in lighter. He's coming in more fit. He's obviously scoring at a high level, all that. But to me, part of the concern is like if, if the O'Brien trophy is what you're after, then you can't be putting your body in such you know, in, in such a sacrificial way in, in FIBA basketball year over year over year. Now I'm somebody who, as a player myself, I, I don't necessarily practice what I preach in that regard. Like I'm somebody that puts my body on the line again and again and again. And even though I might have, you know, an official game tomorrow, I want to play the pickup game now. And it's hard for me to say no to those things, but I think that's going to be the hard thing for Luca, even 
with his style of play um, for his career? Like, is he going to prioritize putting himself around excellent players, excellent coaches who are going to help him win a championship? Or is he going to be a personally great player on the basketball court that, that scores 32 points a game? That's great, but it might not end up with a lot of championships. Yeah, this roster going into this upcoming season here, I mean, I can see them being, you know, a six, seven seed in the playoffs, but making another run at the Western Conference Finals again, I think is going to be a really uphill battle for this Mavs team. Turning our attention to two small market teams, um, we have the Orlando Magic. Um, The NBA schedule got released since we last recorded the pod, and Magic Twitter was all up in arms. Um, because as typical, we didn't get a lot of nationally televised games. We actually only got one regularly nationally televised game coming up this season in comparison to teams like the Spurs, who are trash all, as well, but you know they have the number one pick from this last year's draft. And so I think my point with, with Magic Twitter here is like rather than just getting in our feels about the lack of national attention we're getting on television, even though we do have the Rookie of the Year and Paulo Bancaro, is I think it's time to show League Pass subscribers what these big audiences are missing out on and just win games, and then that will translate into getting more t- TV games next year. Yeah, I think so. I think um, I think also Paulo's star rising in FIBA play will actually help in this regard um, because I think that the Magic haven't had the star power in a while. Like I'm trying to think in the post-Dwight Howard years, has there been a star that is, uh, you know, more significant than Paulo? Yeah, we had the Vooch years, but Vooch was like the most unflashy all-star ever. Yeah, And so no. I think Paulo's going to have the flair, the fashion, the aggression that's going to yep, put the magic yep. back, on the ma- back on the map. Going on down to a signing, actually, fan favorite and 2023 dunk contest champion Mac McLung signed a partially guaranteed contract with the Magic. Last season he played with the 76ers G League team, uh, the Blue Coats. He averaged 19.8 points in 31 games. I think, you know, this is, we've talked about underdogs before in the pod, Quinn, and I think like as just a basketball fan, you love to see these guys who are just knacking and crawling and trying to find their way onto a legit NBA roster. And so I always just get excited for guys who are just trying to find a way to fulfill their life dream and play in the league. Dude, partially guaranteed, partially guaranteed. Give this guy a fully guaranteed contract. You want him on your team. He's not just a fan favorite for the Magic. He's going to be a fan favorite for the league. There's like with his with his with his dunk contest, with just like his personality, with the way he plays the game. Is he going to have a huge impact on you winning the championship this year? Probably not. No. But is he going to be a good culture guy? Is he going to be a fun guy? Is he going to be a, a guy for the fans like yes like give this man his opportunity let's go yeah i think he's going to be getting tons of minutes as a guard on the magic and by that i mean the osceola magic <laughs> rg league team <laughs> going to the trailblazers here as much as i feel so bad quinn it feels like every time we get on the mic bringing up um the mess up there in oregon um dame did finally sit down at his um formula Uh, basketball camp with Mark Spears and had like a proper interview and finally verbally said out loud on camera that he did request to go to the heat and he said he didn't want to talk about the Blazers. I was just thinking about that interview and just realizing just how interesting is it these days that this is the first time we actually had actual confirmation that Damien said and did any of this, but that just shows you how almost accurate the rumor wheel is in the NBA 
is that we've known about this stuff for for weeks now and it's only just now been confirmed and so it's interesting just to see how damien is now able to come out and say things that he's said through the rumor wheel for all these weeks and they've been at play and honestly nothing's changed obviously it's just crazy to see the kind of power that these star players have yeah dude i mean it's sad like he he says i'm not going to speak on the blazers there's a lot of love and respect but i won't speak on the blazers and you're like wait wait what like i mean i i i appreciate that i appreciate that you're you know saving your hundred thousand dollar fine that you would otherwise get if you did talk about it exactly <laughs> But, um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough one. I, in some respects, I don't really feel like this moves the needle at all, though. Like there's rumors that, you know, oh, like, you know, trade talks with the heat are going to start, you know, start up again or whatever. Like, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. I don't, I don't really see any reason that this changes anything right now. Um, I want him around. Uh, but if he's not going to be around, then, you know, I want a premium because he's a premium player. And that's kind of long and short of it. I know I think it's so dangerous. I mean, this happened with Ben Simmons. It's happening with Harden. It's sort of happening in a, I guess, a much nicer way with Dame. Is that I feel like these players are putting these ownerships in these kind of just like, it's just kind of like this reputation battle where the front office and the owner and the GM doesn't want to just look like they're going to fold like, you know, like a beach chair. Um, and so I think it just is really interesting to see the position these front offices get put in is especially with a situation like Dame, where he's like, I only want to go to the Heat, you can't trade me anybody else than the Heat, that so hampers the Blazers' ability to trade him because his trade value drops with every other team. And so I really think these stars are putting these teams in positions where the team's like, hey, we don't want to go down in NBA history as weak sauce. And so I think it's just going to be so interesting to see how teams like the Sixers and the Blazers handle these stars who decide they don't want to play basketball anymore for them. I think that's going to wrap it up for us today. We'll be looking forward to seeing how teams like Team Canada, Team USA, Germany do as FIBA basketball continues. And so we'll catch you in the next one.